Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the union pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Welcome everybody to episode three of Ride Report. Today's discussion is an MEC update from MEC Chairman Chris Kenny. And the second half of our broadcast will be a look into the world of hotels with the hotel committee representatives. We've got Chairman Matt Wilson and committee member Pat Nolan on the broadcast today to discuss everything related to hotels and ground transportation. Joining me today as well is a co-host of Ride Report, J.R. Hall, who is up to now been a behind-the-scenes person with editing and rollout of the commercials on Ride Report, but J.R. is officially joining us as a co-host, remotely, socially distanced. Uh, how's it going, J.R.? Can you tell the uh, listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Behind the scenes, like you said, uh, since the initial inception of the podcast, doing uh, production, putting all the piece together, if you will, and... Uh, taking the opportunity to step out from behind to be able to pull double duty, I suppose. Uh, quickly on me, um, joined JetBlue just a little over three years. Um, also serve uh, Boston 190 FO. Also serve with Alpa under uh, Central Air Safety as a focal gatekeeper for the Ember 190 and uh, Central Air Safety as a whole as the communication specialist. Also had the incredible opportunity to work with both you and uh, Mike Clark in P2P since uh, I was hired in uh, 2017 here at JetBlue. Well, we're lucky to have you for this uh, production, so uh, thanks for everything you do to volunteer on behalf of the pilot group here. I want to get right to it. We're going to go right to uh, MEC Chairman Chris Kenny for uh, his update on behalf of the MEC. Chris, uh, on our last podcast, we had an MEC Vice Chairman update from uh, Wayne Scales uh, as to just the general status of the industry and, and, and maybe some of the trends we were seeing at the time. Can you Can you give our listeners an update as to how things have or haven't changed uh, throughout the industry and, and the economy in general? Uh, Tim, yeah, sure. Absolutely. No problem. Um, first, I want to touch a little bit on on the MEC itself and what we've kind of, uh, it's been a crazy nine, nine months. And I first of all, I want to thank on behalf of all of our 250 volunteers that house the you know roughly 25 standing subcommittees and committees that we have. Uh, they have been working tirelessly and and drastically helping us out over the past nine months to get the best product out to not only help the union um, to be effective, but also to get the product out and delivered to the membership. And I want to start off by thanking all of our volunteers for all the dedicated hard work that they do to help us on the MEC. Um, you know, last nine months have been very, been very trying and challenging, not only the MEC, but also to all pilots at JetBlue. And we've had, uh, two regular scheduled MEC meetings. I've had over 10 special meetings over the last nine months, five LOAs and eight MOUs. And then obviously currently now we're living underneath LOA 12 until, until 5-1-21. Um, not only working on all the protections for like safety and training and pay and the, the no furlough for LOA 12, uh, the MEC is continued to work on other things as well that does not necessarily pertain to COVID, such as the safety LOA that we've put in numerous comms. We continue to make drastic head, headway on that during final language. And we're also revamping the HIMSS policy manual, uh, which is also in the final stages too. So we continue to work on a lot of big, uh, big ticket items as well uh, that a lot of people don't see necessarily every, every day as well. Regarding the economy, um, I know when Wayne uh, briefed last podcast on the economy, there's a lot of expectations. Uh, there's still not a clear, definitive path forward with data. 
And what that means is, you know, airlines don't have the typical data look long-term in front. They're still looking short-term as this thing is changing drastically day by day. You know, back in March, it was, you know, forecast to be a V-shaped recovery. And then it was uh, forecast to be a U-shape. And then it was going to be an L-shaped recovery, which uh, the L is getting a little bit longer as we go into the end of this year and all the way into next year. The trends, uh, Tim, started to improve a little bit. And then over the past month, they've uh, they started to go downward again. And right now, the trends for Dece- the holiday for November and December are lower than what they expected. And then going looking into January as well, uh, the block hours for January are also uh, going to reflect the the pull down. Basically, it's just it's demand's not there. One of the biggest things we're having a problem with is you know JetBlue is trying to be aggressive with making plans to do things. And whether it's the rapid changing the quarantines or anybody saying stay home for Thanksgiving, don't travel. You know, one day we added Thanksgiving flying and then, you know, the governor came out and said, don't travel over Thanksgiving to state of New York. So it's kind of frustrating as we try to try the bookings, uh, Tim, honestly, over the last couple of weeks or mainly week, the cancellations are starting to outnumber the bookings again. And we've seen, you know, United, United and other airlines have publicized that and we're not exempt or immune from that either. Um, and that's strictly because of the potential second wave. JetBlue is mainly leisure. We're 80% leisure and 20% business. And everybody's expecting the leisure travel to increase faster than the business travel. And uh, the bookings for leisure, even short in, are not seeing that way, especially all the way into, into January, the first quarter of 2021. JetBlue's put out uh, two different route packages uh, one was a lot out of like the Newark area. And then the second one they released a lot of month ago was about out of like a lot of Raleigh and Richmond stuff, a lot of Transcon kind of different flying than JetBlue's ever done. And I'd expect them to continue to do things like that. They're trying to find whatever possibly different leisure routes that they possibly can to help make up for some of the business routes that they potentially are going to need longer to get. So they are, they are trying to do things like that. The, the COVID numbers right now, Tim, um, are actually... Um, on increase as well. Uh, that's why last week we put out in our Friday update to remind people to go back and review LOA 8 um, to make sure they're aware of our protections for, for COVID as the numbers are increasing. The big question is what's the vaccine going to do, right? A lot of people, they don't know in particular what's going to happen. It's going to be a while before it's even out. And when it is out, how's it going to affect travel? Uh, there's some people that are saying that it's going to have a a drastic increase real quick. And then most people are saying that it's going to level off nowhere near the pre COVID mark and level off all the way into 2021, 22, the bookings for um, just to go over a couple numbers for bookings for the TSA for year over year. um, We're down uh, November one was down 70% uh, from last November one. And September, which is the full month that we have data on, year over year, it was 65% down the people that went through the uh, DOT. And leisure travel, September, uh, fell another 40%. And as we can expect in the business market, it was down 83% total. So, you know, we've always as an MEC been up front on, you know, we have LOA 12 that gets us through May 1st. Um, We've always um, tried to be really up front and, and educating pilots to pay attention to the, you know, the news, the economy and the markets and um, stay focused on the fact that, you know, there, there's a long road ahead of us um, before we come out of this time. 
Yeah, certainly uh, some continued sobering uh, statistics there and may entertain for some of our listeners. I know the uh, the cat is kind of out of the bag here after uh, several months of anticipation. The supplemental bid is coming out here in a few more days. Can you give us some information uh, about that supplemental bid? Yeah, Tim, thanks. We get that question a lot even before it was out. Um, you know, the pilot group is asking uh, a lot of questions to the MEC. You know, we always know there's going to be a 220 coming in the end of the year and then also the LR next year. And there's always a question of when, when are they going to run the bids for both aircraft? And as announced last week, both by the company and by us, that the, they notified us on November 24th, uh, that two weeks later, 14 days on 12-8, that they'll open a supplemental bid for the 220. And initially, the all vacancies for the 220 bid, Tim, are going to be in Boston. The important thing to know is that this is not a displacement bid, or you can't be forced out of your seat. The company is going to have negative numbers in there for staffing for certain bases and seats. And what they'll do is if they, when they run the vacancies for the 220, if they don't hit those exact target numbers, um, they're just going to carry the excess pilots, Tim, and they're not going to displace to get to that number. But there is a possibility where there will be some extra vacancies open and a situation where uh, a number of pilots take the 220 exceeds the uh, the number that the company projected to reduce the base by. And then what will happen is if there's a difference of that, they'll add vacancies for that slot to bring it up to the projected number of what the company wants to do. The sk- scheduling committee is you know, going to continue to bring out education to all pilots on, on the bid and explain it. And you know, this is obviously the another first trial of Section 24 this year, which is first time for pilots just adding a new aircraft to the fleet. We want to make sure, Tim, that everybody understands that um, even if you don't want to bid the 220 and you have no desire to bid the 220, we still want people to make sure that their bid reflects what they want. Uh, we do not want people just to say, nah, I'm not going to take the 220 and then ignore it and not go in there. And that's something the scheduling committee is really going to come out and, and hammer is to make sure pilots still go in and actively look at their bid to see what they have. Certainly a lot of information to pour over uh, with this supplemental system bid, Chris. I know as you speak, one phrase that really resonates with me is is one from a few episodes back with the Retirement Insurance Committee, the quote of, nobody cares more about your retirement than you. And I think in this situation, that would certainly apply and nobody cares more about the outcome of your supplemental system bid more than you do. Certainly some important things to consider. Uh, there's going to be a lot of literature and media from the uh, MEC out to the pilot group, and it's going to be imperative that all pilots review this information and make sure they have their bid set up for this supplemental system bid properly. Agree, Tim. MEC Chairman Chris Kenny, thank you for the uh, update for our listeners. Appreciate it, Tim. Thank you. When we return, we'll be hearing from the hotel committee representatives. We have Chairman Matt Wilson and hotel committee member Pat Nolan on to uh, discuss the world of hotels and ground transportation. Back after this. Ride Report. The JetBlue Alpa MEC Minute, a quick and concise overview of the most common and sometimes unique contractual items we face when flying the line. Need a quick refresher on emergency assignment? MEC Minute. How do I use the PDR system to get a hold of a committee? MEC Minute. How do special paydays work again? MEC Minute. These and more are available as part of JetBlue Alpa's digital channels. Access the content now on YouTube, JetBlue Alpa Pilots, the MEC Minute. Give it a minute and get so much more. 
Ride Report. Ride Report. Welcome back to Ride Report. Our next segment is on hotels and ground transportation. Joining us today is Hotel Committee Chairman Matt Wilson, as well as uh, Committee Member Patrick Nolan. How's it going, guys? Going good, Tim. Going great, Tim. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking time to join us. Uh, I guess we'll start out with, you know, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Matt, how did you get involved volunteering and, and maybe how long have you served on the committee? Yeah, definitely. So I think most of us, uh, you know, throughout our airline career, at uh, some point have that one hotel that uh, just, you know, doesn't sit right with them or drives them nuts. Uh, that was that was me. For me, it was the Verdanza Hotel in San Juan. I was staying there quite a bit, just wasn't up to par. And so I raised my hand and asked to volunteer. Uh, so I've been on the committee now just about seven years. And how long have you been the chair for, Matt? Coming up on one year as the chairman. And Pat, can you tell us a little, a little bit about your background and, and how you got involved? Well, heck, uh, I started out uh, volunteering back when PBS went from our old class fit system to uh, Natech PBS. So I was the, uh, I volunteered to be the uh, Natech PBS uh, uh, program manager. From there, uh, I was also a member of our hotel committee under the PBC days. And then uh, ultimately, uh, once Alpha came on, on property, I was asked to uh, volunteer to work for uh, our inaugural uh, hotel committee under Alpha. You guys are bringing a lengthy amount of experience to the table on behalf of uh, this pilot group. O- overall, how many total volunteers are, are, are on the hotel committee? How many, vo- how many pilots volunteer for your committee? Currently, we have uh, four of us on the committee uh, right now. Myself, uh, Pat Nolan, uh, Chuck Mann, and Kira McGrath. You know, for those who are listening to this broadcast, we always like to give our listeners a, a good understanding of all the different committees, and, and much of that entails what should a pilot do if they need to get in touch with a committee? So I guess I'll put that question to you guys. What's the best way to get in touch with the hotel committee with respect to I'm having a problem or I need to give them feedback about something that's not going right? Uh, really, there's two answers. Um, the preferred method uh, is via the micro hotel feedback portal. That's the icon you can find you know, on your company iPad. Uh, and it will take you directly to the micro hotel website. You can also get there via hellojetblue.com or just uh, type micro hotel into your browser. You know, submitting a report, uh, positive or negative, allows us to document and track that submission uh, as it moves through the resolution process. So that is why it's our preferred method. Um, And when you submit that report, uh, it's immediately disseminated to our committee uh, as well as API, uh, JetBlue's crew accommodations team, and flight ops leadership. The second part is if you've got a general question about a particular hotel or contract uh, compliance, you can always just email us at jbuhotel at alpha.org. Quick, uh, the quickest way, though, uh, is to reach us via Micro Hotel. So it's interesting. Pat, let me ask you, with regard to PDRs and the email, almost kind of be an old school, if you will, is there a predominant benefit that you guys on the hotel committee see using this email address and Micro Hotel versus a PDR for that pilot to Alpha communication? That's a great follow-up question, JR. Um, probably the biggest reason why Micro Hotel is used in lieu of uh, the PDR system is the fact that uh, the PDR system is relegated really internal to Alpha, uh, whereas the Micro Hotel feedback portal, the information is disseminated to not only you know people within Alpha, but also through FlightOps leadership and, of course, uh, the business partner API. Uh, I don't believe our PDR system is, uh, is developed to interact with people outside of the, the Alpha universe. When a pilot gets a response or a follow-up from the MyCrew Hotel 
submission, who, who could they expect to hear from? Do they generally hear from a representative from API or the, or the company, or is, it, or is it an Apple volunteer on the other end? Generally, it is API. Um, sometimes crew accommodations or JetBlue's crew accommodations team uh, will also reach out. And we monitor that. If there needs to be additional follow-up, then the pilot can uh, expect to hear directly from us as well. Okay, great. Matt Wilson, Pat Nolan from the Hotel Committee. Back after this. Ride report. Ride report. Ride report. Nope. That's not our hotel van. Sound familiar? That's not our van either. I don't know where it is. Tired of waiting on the van? No. That is not our hotel van. As a reminder, when transportation is not provided within 30 minutes of lock-in, pilots shall be reimbursed for all expenses incurred for transportation to... No. ...or from... That's not our hotel van. ...the airport. Ride Report. Welcome back to Ride Report. I've got a good having a little chuckle here. It's Hotel Committee is the formal name of the committee, but it, it could be a little bit misleading. I have to imagine you guys spend a fair amount of time uh, fielding issues with ground transportation as well. Yeah, really, um, you know, Hotel Committee, uh, it's all-encompassing. We deal not only, uh, you know, with our layover hotels, but also ground transportation to and from the hotel. And we also uh, oversee intra-airport transportation as well. Um, you know, essentially, if it resides in Section 5I uh, or K or LOA2, then we would typically handle it. You bring up a good point there, Matt. You know, I go into the contract and I, and I search through the table of contents trying to find the hotel section. I don't, I'm not going to find that, right? Where can I find most of the information relating to hotels in our collective bargaining agreement? Yeah, no, uh, and this is something we, we do get asked a lot or we hear a lot from uh, the line pilot. There's basically three sections that relate to hotels within the CBA. Uh, Section 5I and K, and then LOA2. Section 5I is uh, kind of a general section. It basically tells you when you are uh, owed a hotel by the company. 5K deals with transportation. And then LOA2 is essentially the details that kind of govern the process, uh, you know, transportation process, hotel selection process, et cetera, et cetera. And for those listening, Section 5 is, is titled Expenses, Lodging, and Transportation. How many hotels do we currently have throughout the system, guys? We're sitting at just over 130 hotels uh, in the system and counting. That's a almost a revolving door of, of site visits. Are they concentrated during certain periods of the year, or are they just kind of based on when the contracts come up for renewal? It, it is a revolving door uh, of site visits, yeah. Um, they, you know, uh, they're typically spread out throughout the year, uh, and we're typically doing somewhere between 30 and 40 site visits uh, a year. So, um, you know, with contracts ranging anywhere from two to five years, keeps us doing about a third of that, uh, that bulk of the 130 every year. Sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It really is, but uh, it's rewarding. I want to go back to the CBA for for just a couple minutes here. Uh, when we achieved our CBA back in in 2018, what kind of changed in the in the world of hotels and 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 I guess ground transportation as as well? What kind of uh, improvements did we achieve uh, just by virtue of the the CBA back in 2018? Uh, you know, this is a, a great segue. This goes back to why um, you know initially uh, I wanted to get back involved with the hotel. Uh, committee, you know, prior to Alpa, I served um, 
on the hotel committee uh, through the PBC. And the, the biggest, most glaring issue that we that we had was that there was no resolution process for a bad hotel, uh, a hotel that wasn't fulfilling their contractual obligations. So when Alpa came on property, you know, the biggest thing that we gleaned from, well, aside from standards uh, for a change, uh, was the fact that we actually had a a resolution process to hotels that just weren't working out. We've had the ability to uh, bring our issues, uh, most of the information provided to us through Micro Hotel uh, from, from our pilots at large. Uh, with that data, we can then go back to Flathouse leadership and make a case that a hotel uh, is not up to contractual standards. With respect to hotels, we came up with guidelines that defined long and short stay requirements. Whereas before we didn't have that. In fact, the company used a, a, a short stay, medium uh, stay, and long stay system, but there was no guidance. And you know, a short stay could you know be twenty hours, uh, let's say. Um, so with the defined long stay, short stay requirements now, uh, you know, we definitely have clear guidelines for that. Uh, we also have transportation guidelines uh, that allow for self help. Uh, should the transportation not meet uh, the timelines set forth in the CBA. Um, we also have, uh, we had no template uh, for hotel quality uh, prior to the CBA. Um, and the contract also guarantees our committee's involvement in the process during the critical steps. Now, you mentioned uh, the, the possibility of, of perhaps one of our hotels in the system uh, deteriorating in terms of quality or, or, or perhaps one aspect. Uh, what kinds of issues could push a hotel to act to the point of actually being changed? So contractual compliance would stand out, you know, as uh, I think the most visible one. Maybe a perfect example would be, you know, if a hotel is contracted to pick up our crews, uh, you know, and they're not getting there within the 30 minutes of the block-in, and that's a consistent pattern, uh, we could do go through the reselect or deselect process uh, with the company to, to take a look at that and have it evaluated and either changed or, or find a resolution. Now, when it comes to the company it, itself, who is the hotel committee working with and interacting on a regular basis, uh, pushing for changes and things like that? Who is in the room with Alpa uh, when these decisions uh, are, are discussed and made? Yeah, Tim, uh, you know, primarily uh, we work with uh, members of Flathouse Management, uh, crew accommodations, and uh, we currently have three API account directors. Sa- safe to assume everybody always agrees on everything? Sure. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> uh, but again, our CBA uh, does give us um, guidance on how we deal with those issues that we, we don't necessarily agree on. Now, guys, uh, I, I want to ask, we, you know, we get these emails from time to time that, that discuss the recent site visits that happened maybe in the last month or so. But I think a lot of our listeners really you know, may not really understand what goes into a site visit. Can you just discuss for our listeners, what, what is a site visit process? What does that entail? Yeah, for sure. The, the process itself starts about six months prior to a hotel's uh, contract uh, expiration. At that time, uh, JetBlue's third-party vendor API begins the sourcing process, and uh, they send requests for proposals to hotels in the marketplace that uh, we're looking at. Um, after that, we can add any additional hotels uh, to that list via our CBA-defined process. Um, after that, responses are reviewed, and then uh, a site visit is constructed with input from uh, this committee. Uh, the site visit itself is typically four days, and we can see as many as 20 hotels uh, during that four-day period. 
but uh, that just varies uh, with the market and the city that we're seeing. We use a comprehensive checklist uh, that was developed by our committee to validate uh, the contractual compliance piece. And then once the site visit is completed, uh, we submit a recommendation to the company. Um, at that point, the CBA allows uh, you know, for a resolution process if there's a disagreement between us and the company on the, uh, the final hotel that was selected. And Matt or Pat, perhaps one of you could maybe highlight some of the recent uh, examples uh, of this work from the hotel committee. You know, we've been through a pandemic and, and had some flare-ups of civil unrest, unfortunately, in certain uh, of our cities where we contract with hotels. Can you highlight some of your recent efforts on behalf of this pilot group to uh, ensure not only safety, but contractually compliant hotels? Uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, this we, we found ourselves in the uncharted territory. Um, we uh, immediately tried to ascertain what different hotels were doing, what the protocols were going to be. I mean, all the major brands in particular, you know, Hilton, Marriott, um, Sheraton's, uh, Crown Plazas and the like, uh, all scrambling to develop their own house cleaning or housekeeping protocols. You guys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you probably do some sort of communicating with our security committee, right? It's a tough question to answer only because there was no set document to say how we should proceed with this. Uh, yeah. I know Matt was involved with, with the safety folks, uh, but really it was day by day, week by week, you know, city by city. And, you know, the one thing that Matt and uh, Kira really set out to strive to do is try to get away from this, you know, this ping pong of pilots back and forth between short and long stay hotels. I mean, LAX is a great example um, where, you know, crew members were, or pilots were, were feeling unsafe uh, not to mention the fact that there were protests downtown in LA. Uh, everybody's back at the short stay hotel, and now it's a matter of you know when's it safe to go back, or if we're ever going to go back, are we going to use this opportunity to find a new hotel? For Matt and I think the rest of the committee, uh, probably more so than Matt uh, than anybody else, uh, just trying to figure out you know what is considered safe and not safe has been you know the million dollar question. Everybody has an opinion. Now, guys, it's, it's easily apparent that, that your committee is out there doing a lot of work on behalf of this pilot group, but there's a, some reciprocity that needs to happen there, right? I mean, you guys aren't laying over in every hotel. It's, it's incumbent upon all of our pilots to, for lack of a better term, police the system. What, what kinds of issues should cause a pilot to raise a concern to the committee through the My Crew Hotel uh, app? It's a really good question. You know, if there's ever a, you know, a safety issue or safety concern when you're at a hotel, transportation, in the transportation, definitely submit uh, a MyCrew hotel report. Once you go into that MyCrew uh, hotel report page, there's actually a drop-down list um, where you can essentially choose the item that best suits your concern. So is it an issue with the front desk staff? Is it your room, HVAC? Is it a safety concern uh, that's also in there? Um, is it, you know, something to do with the transportation? Um, you know, was it late? Was it not on time? Was it not clean? Um, all these things, we, we definitely want uh, a pilot to submit a micro hotel report. And if you're ever in doubt, if there's ever a question, uh, the safest course of action is just submit it. I, I guess as a follow-on, I'll put the scenario out there that I, I'm at the hotel and I have a problem, but I resolve my problem. Does your committee still want to hear feedback from the pilot? Typically we do. Um, there's actually a, you know, a checkbox uh, in the micro hotel report that, you know, allows you to identify whether or not you've let the, the front desk know. And yes, we always advocate that if you can resolve it uh, with the hotel 
or the GT provider uh, in the moment, that's always the best way to go. You're going to get the the fastest resolution that way. But we do like to know when there's issues. And a lot of that is for data collection and tracking purposes, right? We, we definitely look for trends in a market. Um, you know, if, if a particular hotel is consistently late to pick up our crews, uh, even if you talk to the hotel and they tell you they're going to resolve it or they do resolve it, uh, we'd still like to hear about it. We'd still like to know. And with the late transportation, that's something that the hotel committee only gets through the My Crew Hotel reports? Yeah. I mean, outside of us as line pilots flying out there and and seeing a transportation uh, company show up late or the hotel's van show up late, we typically would not know uh, unless a pilot either emails us directly or submits a My Crew Hotel report. So that just continues to drive the importance of the micro hotel app. I mean, we've the van's five minutes away. The van is right around the corner. Or perhaps in some cases, the van left early and left you behind. It's, it's probably something that we might almost consider doing once a trip with some of these inconsistencies. And really, that's the only way to, I, I guess, would be to maybe reasonably affect change in a property or with the ground transportation provider is submitting that through my crew hotel. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if, if you're showing up at the gate more than 15 minutes prior to your report time, if the GT company isn't there when they're supposed to be, yeah, the only way this committee is going to find out about it is if you submit a my crew hotel report, we truly advocate um, that you take the time, you know, to fill it out. I know it's not easy. It's another report. And, you know, the best way to do it is really just uh, a couple sentences, just the facts, right? Um, you know, we can appreciate that, you know, it probably caused, you know, you a lot of stress, uh, you know, or concern, you know, whatever it is that you had to deal with. But uh, just getting us the facts um, allows us to process it faster and use that data to find a, a resolution quicker. When it comes to particular situations, maybe uh, a photograph could be better, could tell a better story versus just the textual aspect of it. Are pictures in the correct situation, situation dependent, something that you guys would also like to see attached with the hotel report? No, definitely. You know, there there's an option to upload uh, photos there as well. And if you can't, for whatever reason, uh, get it uploaded there on the Micro Hotel website, you can always email it directly to us at JBU Hotel. But, you know, the old adage of a picture is worth a thousand words definitely applies here. Um, so if you have a photo, uh, please definitely uh, attach it. We just ask that you use decorum uh, if, you're, if you're sending photos to us. And if you have uh, anything that's living in your room, such as a bug, you, you put it in a jar and take it to the front desk, right? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, that, that's definitely the best way to handle that. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're obviously joking, but on a more serious note, I think, you know, we've all been there at two, three in the morning. It's been a long day, challenging weather, and, and we arrive at the hotel to a problem. Most of us just want to get our problem resolved in the moment. Uh, do you guys have any, you know, maybe anecdotal advice for, you know, things that pilots seem to f- find uh, helpful and maybe uh, overcoming an obstacle with a room or with transportation, things like that? What, what gives you the best odds for success? You know, for me, the first thing I do when I walk into a room is just, you know, kind of give it the, the glance over myself before I unpack my bag, before I, I settle in. Um, I just check everything. And that way, if I need to move rooms, um, you know, it's much easier. I can just either call the front desk or run down there, uh, you know, and have it changed. Um, and our hotels are set up that way, right? You know, if there's a problem on an overnight and you contact the front desk, they're, they're well aware that 
we're airline pilots and, you know, our job is unique and we fall outside of the, the typical traveler. So they're set up to, to help you and, and find a remedy quickly. Um, but if you can't get resolution with the front desk, um, you know, certainly asking for, you know, uh, a manager at the hotel is a great way to escalate it. Uh, you know, and, and maybe get some some quicker resolution. What is the maybe the most common question, or 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 even maybe it's even a misconception uh, that you see from pilots uh, through their feedback to your committee? What are pilots asking the most? Uh, well, if we just uh, I mean, how many times have you all been on a on a hotel van and you know you're driving past the airport and you see twenty hotels to drive forty five minutes away uh, to get to a, a layover hotel? It's you know. Um, and you want, and you scratch your head and you go, well, why didn't we stay at those hotels? What was wrong with those hotels? You know, it's the bigger picture stuff. It's, you know, what happens behind the scenes. I can almost assuredly let all of our listeners know that those hotels were solicited. They just didn't want airline business. And, uh, without going into too, too much detail with this particular question, those are the kind of things that, that we hear about often. And unfortunately at times, you know, and maybe through, uh, avenues like this through the podcast, we can uh, help to educate the, the crew member at large, the pilot at large, to let them know that, hey, you know, we are doing our due diligence. We are looking at all the properties. We we are line pilots. We are we do stay in these hotels and we're doing uh, all we can to make the overnight experiences uh, as pleasurable as possible. Now, guys, let's switch gears for a few minutes here and just talk about ground transportation. Is there any kind of misconception when it comes to ground transportation? I know one thing that comes to mind for me is wait times at the curb. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, part of the confusion stems from, uh, you know, the, the rule of the land uh, when it came to transportation prior to our CBA, which was uh, once we got to the curb uh, after deplaning the aircraft uh, to go to our overnight, there was a 20-minute clock that started, uh, at which time you were allowed after thereafter to uh, find alternate transportation or at least call crew services to find out what's going on. With our CBA, the rule has changed. The rule now uh, stipulates that once you block in at the gate, uh, the clock starts ticking for when you're going to be picked up uh, curbside. And that new number is 30 minutes. So once you park the uh, the aircraft, set that parking brake, deplane the airplane, and get to the to the uh, curb, once 30 minutes has elapsed, there's an obligation for the hotel or the third-party transportation to have picked you up by that point. Uh, if they have not, uh, you are totally within your right to seek your own transportation and have that expense uh, reimbursed to you uh, via JetBlue, or you can call cruise services and have a uh, an Uber arranged for you, thereby uh, bypassing the whole expense process. But that is uh, totally up to uh, the pilot and which uh, course of action they would like to take. But again, uh, just to follow up, 30 minutes from block-in um, to uh, pickup time at the curb for transportation. And Matt, more specifically with Grand Transportation and limo, that limo time that we see in our pairing, that is, if I'm correct and understand it correctly, literally just the time that we're sitting in the limo. That's not any kind of curb factorization going into that, right? Yeah, JR, uh, you know, uh, you are correct. So uh, the CBA allows for one hour transportation time uh, for long stay uh, layovers as well as international layovers. Um, that time, though, that's referenced in the CBA is actually the time in the vehicle, the time that it takes you to get from the curb to the gate uh, for your report is actually an additional time. And JetBlue uh, builds that into 
your transportation time as well. So you could be in the vehicle for an hour uh, and then an additional 15 minutes or so from the curb to the gate. What would be a good example or a measure, if you will, to make sure that what we see in the pairing is correct or they're affording the most appropriate amount of time? Great question. Um, really, uh, the best thing you can do is uh, if the, the ride time uh, is longer than an hour, is, is let us know. Uh, submit a micro hotel report um, and let us know. Uh, and that way we can go to the company and address it and make sure uh, we get it changed. We're, we're really talking in the realm of long stay, uh, short stay hotel uh, and not intra airport, right? So uh, this is just, you know, a, a long stay hotel. Um, it would be an hour and also in international destinations as well. Uh, max one hour in the vehicle and for a short stay, max 30 minutes in the vehicle. And I guess, guys, that kind of triggers for me the question of, you know, do you want feedback when van rides are, are, are shorter than planned too? For example, uh, you know, reporting after a layover uh, to head back to the airport and I, I find myself at the airport with an extra 45 minutes on my hands, you know, prior to my report time. Uh, Tim, great question. Uh, actually, yes. Um, yeah, we want that feedback because, you know, the other part of our CBA says that, you know, ground transportation or car service um, is going to be adjusted, has to be adjusted to the time of day, day of week. And we also can't arrive at the gate to report more than 15 minutes, uh, you know, prior to our report time. So if you're, you know, arriving at the gate 30 minutes ahead of your report time, we definitely need to know. And that way we can go to the company and work to address it and get the, the van times uh, adjusted. Matt Wilson. Pat Nolan from the Hotel Committee. Guys, we really appreciate your time. And to all of our listeners, thank you for dedicating your time to listening to the podcast and opening up the brain to more knowledge and, on association matters. Please let your friends know about the uh, about the podcast. Uh, we do want as many pilots as possible to take advantage of this valuable resource. That's all for this episode of Ride Report. I'm Tim Coombs. And I'm J.R. Hall. And if there's ever a topic that you would like to hear more about here on Ride Report, we're just one PDR away. B6alpha.org. Send us a PDR. Let us know what you would like to hear. Thanks again for tuning in, joining us on Ride Report. We'll see you back here for episode four soon. Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the union pilots of JetBlue.